mind control through a well-chosen tattoo and the unlikely case of being happy enough. Ask me anything for episode EF3. I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF32 of the Evolve Faster podcast. This is a quick spoiler alert that this is an Ask Me Anything episode. Looking back at episode EF10, which was season one, episode eight of the Evolve Faster podcast titled, The Road to Happiness is Inked in Suffering. I'm going to try to answer as many questions as I have time for. You can submit questions through evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. In the last episode, we also spoke about previous episode EF10. That one was a behind the podcast where we answered more questions about the genesis of the episode and how it was made and some of the trials and tribulations. This one will be more questions related to the topics in the episode and the episode itself. So let me just briefly read a paragraph from the website that was introducing this episode. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey. This trite expression is one of the modern favorites. In a bin of overused cliches, we tell ourselves when we start to lack that next hit of happiness. But is it really trite or just misunderstood? Being a cliche doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong. Instead, that comes when we don't actually change things in order to live by the message of such wise life lessons. From ancient Greece to modern Western culture, we can find countless theories on what happiness is and how to attain it. So why is our ability to attain it no better today, and by some measures, on the decline, even after thousands of years of intellectual progress? Okay, so that's an intro. This was the episode about Alex um, and his journey out of his rich family environment. So the questions I'm going to try to tackle today, if I have time for, are, is there a moment when we're happy enough? Do you have a tattoo that makes you look at it or where did this idea come from? And should I get one? Is technology the reason we're getting less happy? What if I don't have real suffering in my life? Could this yin yang be off for me? Does the Seneca quote mean that people who I think are really happy aren't and the other way around? And this memorizing of quotes to try and force yourself to become wise is interesting, does it really work? Is there a moment when we are happy enough or is there a point when sadness and suffering are less of a problem? Is there a moment where we're happy enough? It sounds absurd, doesn't it? But it's a very real question we all ask. I wanted the job, I got it. I wanted the family, I got it. I wanted the house, I got it. When is happy enough? Or is it the striving itself for the next thing that makes us happy? Just asking yourself this question is a great thought experiment. To say how much happiness is enough we need to be able to measure it first. And how can we measure happiness? By tracking our average daily time that we smile. So if we smile about two hours a day, are we happy enough? Just imagine to punch a timer every time you smile or laugh, and probably soon enough there'll be an app for that. But more importantly, could the absurdity of this question be proof of just how crazy it is to think that we can be as happy as we hope to be? Just imagine a few months from now, some of us wake up and a loud ringer marks the moment when you finally manage to be happy enough with confetti flying, music playing, and everything. Finally, you're able to live happily ever after. Do you have a tattoo that makes you look at it? Or where did this idea come from? Should I get one? And if so, what should it say? So I've always wanted to get a tattoo, but my usual excuse is that I can't pick something enduring enough that I'd want to still have on my arm in 10 years. So I've toyed with getting my platform name, Evolve Faster, 
as it's my brand and my lifestyle and my life philosophy. It's been around at least a few years already. But what if I rebrand? I could get my kid's name. That's a classic, Stella. But what if I rebrand her? <laughs> After years of teasing my best buddy, Mike, about his Marvin the Martian tattoo that he bizarrely got in college, I can't risk picking something that looks equally silly to him in like 10 years. So apologies that this is your first cameo on the podcast, dude. But at least I mentioned you in a better light in the TEDx talk. But honestly, it sounds ridiculous. And I would have laughed at you if you'd told me that this was going to happen. But this episode, writing this episode, made me really think it through. And I do actually see the benefit of one in the way that Alex ultimately gets one. It's like a post-it note that you can't get rid of to remind yourself of something important that you tend to forget. Everything in a post-it note always gets done. So I'm not sure what my friend Mike was trying to accomplish with that Marvin the Martian one, but, but the whole tattoo thing started as a minor joke about people who get crazy tattoos that are either extremely cliche or people who don't know what the tattoos that they got means. But as we were looking for something that we could use as a memento, something to remind the character, I remember the movie Memento, no surprise, and the, the role that tattoos play in that movie. So I thought, why not use tattoos? They're permanent, and it's a great way to remind yourself of something. So that's where the idea took off and ended up having pretty much a critical role in the episode's theme and, and metaphor. Say you want to work on something and you want to organize your work. No matter how many task manager apps or whatever other software you use, there's nothing more powerful than slamming a note right on your keyboard that you just, you can't, if you can't get around it the next day because it's in your way, you're gonna do it. So in a way, if you work on a computer, the keyboard is your hand. What about the work of developing who you are? A tattoo can be a powerful note reminder that reminds us of what's most important to you. And in Alex's case, improving yourself, and hopefully all of our cases. If you have a tattoo that has a subtle yet important meaning to you, it's a powerful tool to make sure you remember even in the toughest of times. I had another episode previously where we talked about free will and my take on it, you can look back at that episode, I believe it was episode EF17, where I, I talked about this, but the main thing you have as a conscious being is the ability to steer what comes out of your subconscious. You can't really control what comes out of your subconscious where most of the processing goes on. You have to act on that information when it pops up. When a good idea pops in your head, it means nothing if your conscious self doesn't act on it. That's kind of what this, this whole thing is talking about as well. For example, uh, Mr. Wright does his tattoos for a spiritual reason, and they remind him of his past experiences. So this unnamed tattoo artist in the, in the episode has a tattoo of his wife to remind him of both the good and the bad times. And then finally, Alex does his tattoo to carve a memoir of his individual story. Now, if you remember, each tattoo is different. Mr. Wright's tattoo is abstract. The tattoo artist's tattoo is a portrait of his wife. Alex's is a sentence. So each one of these, if you didn't know what it meant, might be extremely stupid from the outside, but it can mean a lot to those people. Speaking of stupidity, just Google bad tattoos in Google image search. Grab yourself a beer and settle in for some good old fashioned cringing. Actually, if that's too broad and you get sick of the forehead swastikas and so forth, go for bad Trump tattoo 
and prepare yourself for some jaw-dropping empathetic regret. But for the, for the three specific characters, these tattoos they got represent something important, and thus they are given meaning. But it's not the tattoo that gives the meaning to the person or the experience, it's the opposite. Obviously, getting a tattoo won't solve problems you might have, but it can remind you to keep working on the things that you need serious rewiring to remember, because we all have things that we want to remember to do, but aren't very good at remembering to do them. But yes, I'm still thinking about getting a tattoo one day. I just have to figure out what to write on my permanent post-it note to myself that my friend Mike is not going to make fun of me about in 10 years. <laughs> Maybe I'll combine, combine my two ideas and get Evolve Faster, Stella. There you go. Nailed it. Is technology the reason we're getting less happy? I'm not 100% sure, but I believe sadness existed before technology. <laughs> we can say that technology has made us far more effective as a society than our ancestors were, but it didn't make us happier. Or, or it isn't making us happier, I wouldn't say. Maybe in some ways. Also, I wouldn't say it's making us more sad either. I love all of, I've mentioned before, Yuval Noah Harari's books, Sapiens, Homo Deo. And I remember him talking about happiness and how each person's happiness is based on subjective expectations. And expectations depend on the conditions. And expectations usually end in problems. <laughs> so we don't even have to go way back before mobile phones, TV, internet, and self-driving cars. Instead, imagine person A who's living in a war-occupied place right now in 2019, maybe somewhere like Yemen. For that person, the conditions are the fact that there are literally bombs flying and bullets showering them and their family every single day. So what do you think would make that person happy? A brand new phone or a short vacation to Dubai? Or living in a place where there's less probability of immediate death for you and your loved ones. So let's take another example. Person B, who's living in a war-free zone country, but that country's extremely poor, and you're more likely to find a pot of gold than a job. Every day, she wakes up not knowing if she can feed herself or her family, and although it's highly unlikely a strayed bullet will kill her, she's unhappy. That's her condition, and what do you think would make that person happy? But from person A's perspective, it's probable that person B's conditions are everything he wishes for. Person A isn't thinking about having money, he's thinking about still staying alive. And then finally you have person C who lives in a rich country. No war, solid job, and all the technology that makes life easier. These are the conditions. So what can make a person who has these conditions happy? For some reason, the conditions themselves rarely make a person happy. They're just the possible fuel that can set off a reaction. But ironically, it seems if we have no problems, also known as suffering, we have trouble finding a reason to be happy. We become like mice lost in a maze. So what do we do? Almost like a defensive instinct, we create problems. So do we have a reason to work on something to become happy? Like the guy on the plane I mentioned in the last episode, complaining that his seat is too tight, when he's lucky enough to be flying through the air to go somewhere? Technology makes our lives extremely easy. Indirectly, it might be part of the reason why we're unhappy. And social technology is definitely not helping. All the science and research points to people being less happy watching the fake Truman shows going on all around them on the likes of 
Facebook and Instagram. I, I spoke with women in Japan on our last trip who said that the, the washing machine had wrecked their social lives because there was no more chatting with all their friends at the laundromat. If a washing machine is like a pistol to kill human connectivity, then Facebook is like a nuclear bomb. So is there a way to rewire this dysfunctional circuit in our brain? I mean, I've mentioned mindfulness a couple times here because it's, it's an important tool for me and I think it is a simple tool the more you look at it to solve some of these problems or at least alleviate some of the suffering. My TEDx talk goes through the steps I took to unplug and I'm still that way today. I wouldn't be delivering this podcast most likely if I was still fully plugged into the matrix. I'm just partially plugged in. <laughs> what if I don't have real suffering in my life? Could this yin yang be off for me, making happiness more elusive? So finding happiness is extremely important to most of us. It's so crucial that the pursuit of happiness is included in the Declaration of Independence as a basic right. Every human should have the freedom to find happiness on their own accord. Is there a different take on this? Some crazy theory that favors suffering over happiness and makes a valid claim? We might think that finding meaning in life and happiness go hand in hand, but the likes of Friedrich Nietzsche didn't agree. He believed that meaning is far more important and rewarding, and you can't find meaning without suffering. And think about it, happiness is like a pleasant cake that you enjoy while you're experiencing or eating, but the moment it's over and done, it's over. There's no payoff. In fact, maybe negative payoff. There's no productive or useful aftermath of that happy cake. Nietzsche said himself, joy accompanies, joy doesn't move. So suffering, we can observe as a polar opposite. You seemingly don't get any benefits while experiencing it, but after it's over, the rewards can actually be plenty. What would you say makes us better, smarter, and skillful? The feeling of comfort or the feeling of danger? The moments when you're tucked in a warm blanket and sipping a cup of tea, or the moments where you're sleeping in the mud? Of course, there's a high risk we fear terminal damage, and that's why it seems natural to pick the cozy blanket. We don't even need philosophy to talk about it. We need only observe ourselves. Can you say when the longest time you've been happy is? An hour, a day, a week, maybe a month? Whatever the answer is, isn't it absurd that anytime we find happiness, some sort of suffering follows? Almost as if we are designed to suffer. Is there anyone who managed to become and stay happy? It's hard to say, but I'd say it's improbable. So why do we try so hard to achieve this? This isn't to say that pursuing happiness is trivial, but isn't it time we start to accept suffering as an important element in the equation instead of constantly trying to eliminate it? We've been doing it for a couple of millennia and that's probably enough time to agree it doesn't work. And if you wanna find suffering, just look around, get outside whatever bubble you're likely in and live a little bit out there. Experience things, seek out challenges, travel, get lost, get found. As we're, as I said, we're likely designed to suffer from evolution. So, hey, good news, we're all in the same boat. Does the Seneca quote mean that people who I think are happy really aren't any other way around? Just restate the quote from the episode. There are no greater wretches in the world than many of those whom people in general take to be happy. So besides sounding quite poetic, we can find wisdom in Seneca's quote, I think. His view is similar to Nietzsche's, 
The difference being that Seneca believed the pursuit of happiness is equal to the pursuit of reason. So also something important to mention. To Seneca, happy doesn't have the same colloquial meaning it has today, which is feeling great. Back then the word happy meant having a life worth living. This is interesting on its own because let's ask ourselves, how much can the shifting of a mere word like happy through millennia alter our understanding of what exactly it means to be happy? Does the word alter our understanding or the other way around? And who says Seneca's understanding of happiness is correct? And what's the correct definition of it in the first place? It's a mental, mental roller coaster worth riding. So another interesting Seneca quote is this, all men wish to live happily, but are dull at perceiving exactly what it is that makes life happy. In other words, he thought we're lazy. And if you're wondering what Seneca's solution to finding happiness is, it's that we should go against the current, the common opinion, and go against what the general way of living in society is. So imagine the Elliot scenario from the previous episode. You're in a kayak and you're going against the current. Now, how would that feel? Likely much harder than rowing with the current, meaning more suffering. But according to the likes of Nietzsche and Seneca, that's where happiness resides. Now, whether you, whether or not the people a person perceives to be happy are truly happy is a slippery slope. Maybe, maybe not. Seneca's quote is an attempt to demystifying the idea that there are, are people who are constantly happy. And also the idea that just looking at someone who's acting happy doesn't mean that they necessarily are. So remember, every time we look at somebody else, we observe them through an extremely narrow window where we can barely see. Sometimes to better understand a person, it's better to observe yourself instead of the person because you're gonna be seeing them through that whatever lens you have on right now. So do you have a hard time being happy? Probably the other person does as well. Of course, it's just a quote and it's up to you if you want to trust this single quote from an antique philosopher. That depends on you. Keep in mind, Seneca was also the, the guy who mentored the person who burnt down Rome wrote tragedies and committed suicide by demand. Doesn't seem like all of his lessons translated very well, <laughs> at least to Nero. This memorizing quotes that Alex does to try and force himself to become wise by trying them out is interesting. Does it really work? Just to, to remind you what this means, one of the things that was done in this episode is I tried to, and actually Antonio hated this idea when I first brought it up, but I thought it'd be an interesting idea to have this inexperienced kid who has lots of knowledge but no wisdom to recite quotes that he memorized but didn't understand. And Antonio thought the idea was terrible at first. And then he actually came to love it. And I, I, think, it, I think it turned out really well. I was, I was happy with it. He uses so many quotes in the episode about happiness that he even starts to drive himself crazy. But it was just a thing I tried to see if it would work. And in the end, I thought it, it really kind of set the tone. And then he ends up getting a quote on his arm from a uh, popular modern writer, as opposed to all these kind of classic intellectuals. Anyway, so he goes around town and when he gets himself into a situation he doesn't understand, he pulls quotes from this database. And the, you know, his, his mentor, this uh, erudite old professor named Mr. Wright, had trained him in this in this practice of memorizing quotes. Mr. Wright always 
drove into his head that if you take the time to understand and experience what a quote means, it will pay off. That's a bit of wisdom, I guess you'd say, that I try to practice because it's easy to look at these quotes. You know, I talked about this in a previous episode and just discard them because they're cliched. You know, love is all you need and things like this. But buried in these quotes that have become famous, there's always important nuggets of wisdom if you're willing to take the time. That's what it means. That's what this question means. And I don't see why not. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to experiment and, and try it. It could be a fun activity because we're, you know, what we usually do is read a quote or a proverb or a, and then we forget it, you know, a second later, or you drop it into your Evernote or something, and then you, you don't look at it again for six months. But what about memorizing an intriguing quote and then trying to find an example of where to use it in your active day-to-day -day life? So another quote Alex uses comes from Bertrand Russell, which is, to be without some of the things you want is an indispensable part of happiness. So let's say you're carrying this one around in your mental pocket or your, your mental post-it note, and a situation comes where you fail to get something that you were trying to get. You know, your primal instinctive reaction is to feel bad, but the stored quote can serve as an emotional firewall to kind of keep that pesky malware outside. You know, the, this desire to all of a sudden feel bad, you could say to yourself, well, maybe being without this thing is indispensable because now I will set new goals to get something else or you know, whatever, whatever the, the answer is for you. But the quote can jumpstart more rational observation of the unfolding event that's kind of going on in, in front of you, which is your normal snap reaction of how to feel. I think this can bring you to a stoic-like understanding, which naturally won't magically have the thing you failed to get appear and make you feel happy that way. But if it can make you happy in Seneca's understanding of the world, word through a better understanding of yourself and who you are. So in a way you're learning to have fun with your suffering, however crazy that sounds. So another experiment you can do is with cliche proverbs is something that I talked about before. Try and find the biggest cliches like love is all that matters or all that glitters is in gold. Process is similar fight the initial primal reaction, which in this case is to, you know, have a likely sarcastic smirk or make fun of it. And next, think about why this cliche is a cliche in the first place. Is it cliche because people use it often or because it's wrong? And if it's because people use it wrong, what did this poor proverb do wrong? It maintains the same quality regardless of how people use it. So a sentiment that Mr. Wright insists multiple times is part of my own life philosophy, which is don't write off trite sounding quotes or sayings like love is all you need just because they're tired old tropes. I don't believe in much conventional wisdom, but there are a lot of deep, wise ways to live your life hidden in plain sight like that Beatles lyric. But just like Alex, we don't bother to really try to make them a reality in our lives. But really, love is all you need. Now go hug your kid or parent or something. I'm serious, do it. Okay, this brings us to the end of this Ask Me Anything for Evolve Faster episode EF10. I apologize any questions I didn't get to. Please keep submitting them to evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please support the podcast. We really appreciate it. So take care and we'll see you next time. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. 
Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.